today, we wanted to ask the question, what does it mean when we say Merry Christmas? Why Christmas? We celebrate it every year. Even when you go to pagan nations, you will find them saying, thank God for Jesus, because this is the time they make more money than any other time throughout the year. Around the world, people celebrate this day, Christmas. And we have to ask the question, why Christmas? What is the purpose? What is the reason? What is the implication? De declarations are powerful. Some are more powerful than others. But when we say, Merry Christmas, everyone, exactly what is it that we are saying? What is it that we mean? What are we declaring? What is true for us? To the point where we would declare this every single year, Merry Christmas, everyone. And oftentimes, we declare things we don't realize know how powerful that declaration really is. So today, we want to see the depth, the power, and the purpose, we, what happens every time we greet each other in those terms, Merry Christmas, everyone. You see, to establish the meaning and the magnificence of this statement, Merry Christmas, we have to discover the reason for the incarnation. Somebody says, well, what is the incarnation? The incarnation is the theological term given for God's act of leaving heaven and coming to earth. This is the incarnation. Going from being divine to being 100% divine and 100% human. Jesus was a baby, dependent upon those he came to save. He cried. I don't know if they had diapers, but if they did, they would have to change the diapers. Jesus became, God became a man. They called him Emmanuel, God with us. And this is incredible to think. That's why more and more as I gain understanding of scriptures, more and more do I become reverent when I see Jesus. When I hear Jesus, when I turn to a page and it's in red, I become reverent, humbled, because this is in fact Almighty God, the creator of all things, the uncreated creator of all things. He sits above the creation. He is not part of the creation until He chose to lay aside His glory and enter the creation in order to save those within His creation. So I don't really like the whole t-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Happy, uh, happy birthday or uh, happy birthday, birthday boy or something like that. I don't really like that anymore. I used to think it's funny. But knowing more and more what the incarnation was all about, I realized this is God we're speaking of. The incarnation is the, the act of God, the divine, leaving heaven and choosing to become man. Then the atonement we celebrate over Christmas. The atonement we celebrate on Good Friday. Did I say Christmas? I meant Easter. I saw in your faces you knew what I meant. The atonement we celebrate on Good Friday when Jesus died on a cross. We celebrate it on Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the resurrection, but then we celebrate the ascension. And every one of those 
those acts of God, every one of those events have spiritual implications and they have an impact upon our lives because this is the work of God in saving man. The incarnation, the atonement, the ascension. Every one of those events are part of the gospel that saved you. So in the passage that Sid read a little earlier, this passage that we are looking at today, we will find four reasons for the incarnation. In other words, four reasons for celebrating Christmas. And in discovering these four reasons of the incarnation, we will have four truths that we ought, that we ought to see as truths that impact us every single time we say, Merry Christmas, everyone. That is a powerful statement that has become very commercialized. But I, for one, think it's wonderful. It's wonderful that Christmas has swept the world, that even pagan nations want to celebrate it because of what they can get out of it. I'm okay with all of that because, you know, it's a time for us to be, to be radically generous in every way and just share with everyone why? Because this is us reflecting what God did for us on that day. So let's look at these four reasons the text offers as reasons for Christmas. Hebrews 2 verse 14, let's look at it. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same. Let's look at that again. Since therefore the children since therefore the children, who are these children referring to, he refers to in Hebrews? Those are the very children of God. Since therefore the very children of God share in the flesh, share in flesh and blood. This is saying that God's children didn't, do not only exist in spirit. You are not just a spirit, but you are also spirit and body. You have flesh and blood. And since you have flesh and blood, he says, he himself likewise partook of the same things, partook of the same things. These same things is referring to flesh and blood. And since we are flesh and blood, He partook in flesh and blood. That's what it's saying. So God Himself joined His children in being human, and He did so by taking on flesh. So therefore, we conclude that the first reason for the incarnation is that He took on flesh because we are flesh. He became as you are in order to save you. So the first reason we celebrate when we say, Merry Christmas, everyone. We are celebrating the fact that He was willing to become like us. We are celebrating the humility of Christ. Think about everything that Jesus had to lay aside in heaven in order to come and be born in a stable. From a stinky stable to a bloody cross, He certainly laid aside a tremendous amount of glory to come and be who we are. And now He calls us to be as He is. It says... Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook, in, partook of the same things. 
that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. That, in other words, so that through death, you see, God is eternal. Have you ever thought about this? God is divine. He's eternal. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He cannot die. But here it tells us that through death, in other words, he took on flesh so that through death he can conquer Satan. Think about it again. Watch this. He took on flesh. Why? So that through death he can conquer Satan. What we see right here is so fantastic. It's that the second reason we celebrate the incarnation is that God took on flesh so that he could die. Because as, as an eternal living being, he can't die. But he had to become as we are in order for, to die for us. You know, another thought that came to me as I realized that Jesus, in fact, came to earth in order to die. He was born to die. It wasn't as though the Son of God had planned to come and be with us and then something went wrong and God from heaven said, oops, plan B, plan B. Something went wrong. Go down across now. Something went wrong. Go die now. That wasn't, that wasn't what happened. No, He came to die. Nothing went wrong. It was His plan. And God used all of the most wicked people in history. Think about it. Think about how wicked a person has to be in order to shout, crucify him. God took wicked men and used wickedness to fulfill his own purposes because it was always his plan for Jesus to die. Before the creation, the Bible says, Christ was crucified. Imagine that. It doesn't matter how you want to slice this thing. Satan is God's devil. He always plays straight into God's hands. You might look around and you might go, wow, things are looking bad around the world. Man, a lot of fires burning everywhere. What's happening, Jesus? It's like, Jesus, are you dropping the ball? It's almost the way people treat God. Like, are you, are you losing your grip on the world? I mean, everything is just coming apart. No, 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 no. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They see God's hand in everything that happens. He lifts up one nation and he pulls down another. It's the hand of God. You see wickedness take place around the world, folks. God doesn't create fresh evil. He didn't create fresh evil in the heart of Judas. No man is so wicked, all God needs to do is lift his restraints and man would attempt to overthrow, destroy, murder, and crucify the righteous. It's always that way. God didn't create fresh evil in the hearts of those Pharisees, the Roman soldiers, no, no, no. All he needs to do is stand back and watch evil 
like an angry dog grab at, at the neck of righteousness. Again, it doesn't matter how you slice this thing. Even in David's, even in Joseph's time, when he saw his brothers at the end of the whole road that he traveled, they had, they had hated on him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. And, and eventually, when he saved them, who, by the way, he's a type of Christ, when he saved them by giving them food, he said to them, what you meant for evil, guess what? God meant for good. You can't, it doesn't matter how you slice this thing. God is God over all, even the wicked. And he will use that for his own purposes. You go, wicked is so horrible. Wickedness is so horrible. Why doesn't God just destroy all the wickedness? Well, he's in the process of doing so. But in the meantime, he uses wickedness to display just how just he really is. How would you have known if a judge was just if he never had a case before him? You wouldn't know. But it's because there's a case before this judge, and you see how he judges that case that you go like, wow, that's a good judge. In the same way, wickedness exists because it displays how just God really is. Sin is in the world because it displays in comparison how righteous God really is in comparison to sin. Sinful men exist in the world because it displays God's mercy, and you are one of them. How would you have known God is a merciful God had you not needed forgiveness? How would you have known God would forgive if you didn't receive it? All of God's attributes are being displayed in the presence of wickedness and evil and sin. You wouldn't have known that He was just if it wasn't for wickedness. You wouldn't have known that He's merciful if it wasn't for sinful men. You wouldn't have known that He was righteous if it wasn't for wickedness. You wouldn't have known that He's forgiving. You wouldn't have known any of those great attributes of God that are being displayed in a fallen, broken world. God is God. doesn't matter what the world looks like. So we see, we celebrate the incarnation. We celebrate Christmas, number one, because He took on flesh since we ourselves are flesh. We celebrate Christmas, and this is the second reason for the, carnation, the incarnation, and that is that God took on flesh so that He could die. But number three, He says, so that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, and that is the devil. That He may destroy the one who has the power of death, and that is the devil. He came to destroy the work of the devil. That is why the incarnation took place. That is why there was a crib with a baby in it. That is why we celebrate Christmas. He came to destroy the devil. Then it says, verse 15, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In other words, the reason, the fourth reason for the incarnation, or the fourth reason for Christmas is to deliver us from slavery to fear that comes from impending death. Every man is enslaved by fear, consciously, sometimes more than others, but always subconsciously in fear of death, impending death. 
Because what's going to happen when we pass over? Now we need to look at something that could be very confusing to some. When it says that Christ destroyed the devil, this doesn't mean that the devil is no more. It doesn't mean that Christ put the devil out of existence. It means that Christ neutralized and he nullified Satan's work in the believer's life. He neutralized and he nullified Satan's work in your life. The question we want to ask is, how did Christ neutralize and nullify Satan's work in our lives as believers? How did he do it for you? What happened? He came, he was born as a baby for the purpose of accomplishing this work. Neutralizing and nullifying Satan's work in your life. That's why he was born. The question is, what does that look like? Well, we find the picture of what that looks like in Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. I'm so glad you came to the service today, by the way. Because today you're going to see in just a few minutes here exactly how is it that Christ sets you free. How is it that he destroyed Satan's work in you? We're going to find that out right here. Colossians 2 verse 13 verse 15. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, talking to you, church, to you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart. In other words, you had a heart of stone. It was uncircumcised. You hated God. You resisted God. You resisted the work of God. You resisted the will of God. You resisted the word of God. You didn't want to hear anything. Your heart was stone. And then someday, something happened to you and your heart was circumcised. That hardness was cut away and what was left was softness. You heard the word of God and you responded very different than what you used to respond. You used to just always shake your fist at God. But then God came and He did a miracle in your heart. And somehow your heart became soft. And you said, God, I don't want to be hard towards you anymore. I want to repent. I want to believe. I want to serve you. I want to be right with you. I want to spend time with you. That's a miracle. And it's a miracle from the hand of God that that ever happens to anyone. He takes out the stone of your heart and He puts in a heart of flesh. It's called the circumcised heart. But here, he's talking about you before your heart was circumcised. Watch this. Verse 13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your heart, you had a stony heart, God came and He made you alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. He made you alive and forgave you. How? Verse 14, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us. You have a record of debt that stands against you with its legal demands. In other words, you're standing in front of a judge and you have this whole entire laundry list of debts, sin debts, that's accusing you of breaking God's law. And you are guilty of every single one of them and you cannot defend yourself. Because he's God. And a lawyer cannot lie to him. Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with the legal demands, this he set aside, this whole laundry list 
of sin debts. He set it aside. How? Nailing it to the cross. And here it is. Here's the kicker. Here's the big one. Verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. He disarmed the rulers and authority. He disarmed Satan. He disarmed him and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Okay, so how did he disarm the devil? He tells us right here how he disarmed the devil in your life. How many of you don't want Satan's work in your life anymore? Quick, you wave at me. You want Satan out of your life, all right? This is, he's explaining to us how, how Jesus did it. He disarms the devil in your life by nailing something to the cross. That's how he did it. What did he nail to the cross? The record of my sin debt that stood against me. That, that whole laundry list of sins throughout your whole life. He actually took that out of Satan's hands, the accuser's hands, and he nails it to a cross. And now the accuser stands there with nothing in his hands when it comes to you. Can you see that's what it's saying? This is why it's good news. Because the one thing that could damn me for all eternity is the record of my sin debt that stands against me. That's the one thing that sends you straight to hell is your whole laundry list, your record of sins that, accuse, that, you, have, that you have against you. That's what breaks you, breaks the relationship between you and God. Your sin. That's what causes this divide between you and God. Your sin. Jesus took that list of sin debt away from the accuser. And the accuser now stands empty handed. The only, only thing Satan has to accuse you over is now completely gone. It is now nailed to the cross. And the work of the devil has been destroyed in the life of the believer because there's no accusation against you anymore. God left heaven. He gave up all of his glories in heaven. And he was born in a manger, dependent upon those he came to save, and he came to save them how? He took on flesh to be like them, so that he could in the flesh die for them. And in this death that he died for them is how he stripped Satan from that list of accusations against you. Nailed it on, a, nailed it on the cross. And this is why we say Merry Christmas, everyone. This is why we celebrate because we know why Christmas happened. He came to disarm your accuser. And he left your accuser standing there with nothing in his hands when it comes to you who are in Christ. That's why we celebrate the incarnation. That's why we say Merry Christmas because we understand the implications of that very event. We understand the effects of that moment. We understand that when it comes to Christmas, we know 
God's end game. Every year we celebrate the incarnation. We celebrate the incarnation because we know God's end game. Through this event, He has come to save many. He has come to save every single one the Father gave Him. And not one whom the Father gave Him will go missing. He is the good shepherd. He didn't come to turn goats into sheep. No, no. He came for the lost sheep of Israel. He came for those the Father gave Him, the Bible says. That's why you and I stand free from accusations. In Christ, you are free from being accused. Satan, basically as the accuser of the brethren, stands before God with laundry lists and laundry lists and laundry lists of everybody's bad deeds, actions, sins. And that's why Santa is so devastating. Devastating idea. He's got a list. He's got a list. You want to see who's naughty, who's nice. Now let me just tell you where that idea comes from and made comical and made therefore not serious. But the seriousness of the matter is that Yes, there is. There is what the Bible says, this list of accusations that Jesus took out of Satan's hand, all of your naughty deeds, and he nailed it to the cross, and he made you right. And you don't receive a gift from God because you were nice. No, you received the gift from God because Jesus came and saved you, even though you weren't nice and you were an enemy of God, that your mind could not even submit to Him. You resisted Him, you resented Him. You shook your fist at Him, but He came and He loved His enemies. And He turned them into sons. Amen. That's why Paul can boldly and confidently declare, Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there is therefore, because of this, everybody say Merry Christmas. <laughs> Oh, he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, let us never again say Merry Christmas without realizing the seriousness, the glory, the weightiness of what it means, the implication of that statement. We are so humbled by your work in us. Thank you, Father God, that we can celebrate this. We can celebrate this. We're not weeping over this. We are rejoicing because of what you've done. And we want to be extravagant because you were extravagant. Oh, God, you were the giver of things. Lord, allow us to be generous as a people. Allow us, Father God, to be givers. Oh, allow us to celebrate each other because we know that you, God, have placed this church family into Christ. And just as Noah was in the ark, him and his family, they were safe from the judgment of the storm. And so we are in Christ, safe from the wrath of God against sin. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Did you learn something today? Amen.